the National Soccer Coaches Association of America is proud to present the NSCAA podcast presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. The NSCAA is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From education to networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Go to NSCAA.com to learn more about the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's your host, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and I am thrilled that the NSCAA podcast is back and better than ever. The 2017 edition coming to you every two weeks right up to the college season where you know it will go every single week. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Well done, Team Snap. So glad you're with us and so glad to be bringing you the NSCA podcast once again. Quick shout out to Lynn Berlin-Manuel, Sean Chevrolet, Ashley Goodrich playing a key role as well, Kurt Austin and all the great members of the NSCAA. Going to love doing the podcast. Can't wait to get started with show number one, 2017 style. It'll be a different journey every single week leading up to the college season. And speaking of journey, we felt like a perfect topic to kick off the 2017 NSCAA podcast would be to talk about a journey to becoming a coach. A head coach, an assistant coach, somewhere where you make it happen. And one person who has made it happen is Kylie Stannard, and he kicks off our show. Bob Warming, the legendary head coach at Penn State, will come on talking about how important it is to have great assistant coaches. And then we're going to end with Carla Overback, one of the legendary U.S. soccer players of all time who, believe it or not, has been an assistant at Duke for the women's program since, get this, 1992. Yes, while she was winning gold medals, while she was winning world championships. She was on the bench for Duke and she still is. She loves her role as an assistant coach. All right. So we start with a guy who put in his time as an assistant coach and Kylie Standard now entering his third year as the top man at Yale. And Kylie, I got to believe you put in that time because you wanted one thing. You wanted to be a head soccer coach. Is that right? That's right, Dean. And, and I want to thank you for having me on. Certainly uh, honored to be a part of the, uh, the other group of coaches that you're interviewing here. But um, yeah, I mean, when I first got into uh, coaching, my, my ambition was certainly to be a Division One head coach. That was my ultimate goal. Talk about your path as well, because one of the things that I think kind of gets that burning desire for soccer is maybe you got to kind of just walk away from it just a little bit, right? Because you got an accounting degree, I believe, from Creighton. Yep. And, um, you know, we won't debate how great a player you were with the Blue Jays, by the way, Kylie. We'll let someone else <laughs> break that down. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I understand you have some fun with Bob Warming on that topic. But you walked away a little bit, but you still had that bug. Tell us about that. Yeah, no, I, you know, I there's, there's not a lot of debate on my, my playing ability. I mean, I played for a, an incredible program at Creighton, but, you know, I'll be the first to admit I was a very solid role player on some very, very good teams. Um, but uh, I think it helped shape me as a coach because, honestly, I, I when I was at Creighton, I played every position except for goalkeeper and center back. So I think that actually helped just kind of learn those positions. Um, and and then honestly, when I first when I first finished playing, I was a little burned out of the game, and I was a little frustrated with how things um, finished during my time at Creighton. Uh, but like you just mentioned, uh, eventually that bug came back, and I felt like I I I put so much time and energy into this game that I that I loved that I wanted to try to just keep keep going with it. So. As you mentioned, I, I got my degree in business and accounting and worked that uh, 
in the in the business world for about three and a half, four years. Uh, and then, but during that time, I started to get the itch and got into coaching at the club level there in Omaha. Um, actually, you know, became co-director of a club during that time. And then also started coaching at the Olympic development level there before uh, really ultimately deciding, hey, I want to try to do this coaching thing and, and make it a career. And that's when I decided to step into the college game. Okay, so you step into the college game, you know, mainly at Northern Illinois, right? Yep. Okay, and talk about uh, your time at Northern Illinois, and then we'll walk it right up to your time with Damon Rensing, one of the all-time great guys of soccer. Yeah, absolutely. So as, as with uh, most most uh, things in in the business world and, and the coaching world, uh, a lot of it is who who you know and who you affiliate yourself with. And so I, I met Steve Simmons, uh who was then the head coach at Northern Illinois University, um, actually through uh, my the old assistant that I had during my Creighton time, Dana Taylor, um, and. Steve Simmons was his uh, former assistant coach at Oregon State, and so uh, when I first started inquiring about this, I was I was talking with uh, Sean Holmes at Drake. I was talking with Coach Simmons at Northern Illinois, and I just was I was willing to just do whatever it took um, and sacrifice pay and and uh, time and and moving from Omaha to to DeKalb, Illinois, and uh, yeah, so I just dove in. Uh, head first and, you know, initiated uh, getting involved with a club there, Campton United, just outside of Chicago. Um, so I did that, obviously, just to, to scrape by and make ends meet, um, but was working full-time hours plus as a volunteer um, and and then coaching, coaching club. And, um, you know, that's how I got my start. Four great years, and then the Big Ten, specifically Michigan State, comes calling. And I mentioned Damon Rensing. I hold him yep. in such high regard. I mean, he worked under the legendary Joe Baum, who always created a, yep. a family atmosphere. And I think, Kyle, you're going to tell me that he brought you into his family with open arms. Talk about that. Yeah, Damon is, as you said, one of the great guys in, in, in college soccer and you know the culture at Michigan State. Not only just with the soccer program, but with the athletic department, it is just very family oriented. Um, it was a, it was a great experience, a great place to be. And Damon Damon brought me in with open arms, and you know he it was a, a bit of a transition because because Coach Baum um, actually was stepping away from the head coaching role, but actually in into an assistant role. So Coach Baum and I were uh, were. Um, assistant coaches together for uh, two years there before he officially retired um, for good. And so that was a neat experience, being able to, to be on that staff with Joe in a different role and just kind of soak in his his wisdom and experience. Um, but also I think Damon knew what he needed in an assistant coach, and and uh, I think I think I, I fit what he was looking for perfectly um, for his transition to being a, a first-time head coach, and um, and then we really hit it off. I think I think we uh, we got along really well, but we also complemented each other with our different strengths and and um, characteristics. You know, I felt like I saw that as you know I've been calling Big Ten Network games since day one, and yep. I felt like immediately Damon Rensing was counting on you, right? He was asking you for input and looking for you to lead practices 
coaches. I mean, you weren't just sitting there on the sideline, Kylie. Yeah, no, I think that was a, a neat responsibility. Um, and Damon, I, I mean, it was it was really um, great for Damon to, to have so much trust in me right away. Um, and I think he had heard that I, you know, I was a hard worker and pretty organized. And, um, you know, I, even the players at Michigan State will, will joke that I was kind of a quote-unquote specialist with uh, restart situations, so we, we train those a lot. Um, and, and just getting helping, helping get the team um, defensively organized uh, along with, with other things. But, no, it was Damon and I had a great, uh, great connection. He's a, he's a great person, a great coach. Um, and was an incredible mentor for me. And you played such a key role in the development of big-time players. Talking about Jay Chapman, Fatai Alashe, Kevin Cope, Ryan Keener, the list goes on and on. I mean, you were instrumental in their development, Kylie. Yeah, um, I mean, those are great guys, and and I still stay in touch with those guys. Um, I actually just... um, went down to New York and, and watched the tie and actually sat with his parents uh, when they played New York City FC, so that was a neat experience. Um, and I text and, and communicate with those other guys um, off and on a decent amount, actually. So, um, yeah, so it was, you know, I think it was a combination of, of um, you know, identifying these really good players, bringing them into Michigan State and, and helping push them, and, and then obviously the culture that was there helped to continue to develop them and obviously the Big Ten is one of the top couple of conferences in the country so those guys are challenged week in week out um, but yeah it was uh, you know Michigan State did a great job with uh, finding the top in Michigan kids but a guy like Jay who uh, we actually identified before he got picked up by the Toronto FC Academy um, and, and so luckily we were able to, to keep him um you know, in uh, to come to Michigan State and had a great experience there. Okay, so this show, as you heard me open up, isn't necessarily just about, you know, hey, everything you've accomplished and how great it was at Michigan State. It was about the process of becoming a head coach. And so here you are at Northern Illinois, then you're at Michigan State. I got to believe you're starting to think, man, I'd really like to be Damon Rensing for another program or Joe Baum or you fill in the right name. And, uh-huh. you know, I'm assuming you're getting phone calls along the way. And how hard is that, right? Because you're probably interviewing. Maybe there's some jobs you don't get. Maybe there's some jobs you do get maybe there's some jobs you kind of want and on and on and on talk about that process as you're thinking about it and then finally diving you know head first in with Yale uh, I was actually I'm down at the Dallas Cup right now recruiting, and I was actually just talking with um, another another assistant coach um, who you know, is in a similar situation and, and is trying to figure out the path to becoming head coach and really there is there is no exact blueprint for that and um, so and, and yeah, I was, you know, definitely had some some interest uh, both on my end and from other programs uh, about possible head coaching jobs um, and some, you know, you go through the interview process, phone interviews, some on-campus interviews, and you just never know for sure what a certain administration or program is looking for. Um, sometimes you you think you're a great fit, but you're you're not necessarily the right fit in their eyes. And so um, so you, that, that's the difficult part because a lot of it is dictated by uh, the various administrations at, at places um, and, and what they're looking for and the timing of, of the search and everything. And so 
Um, it, it's you know, as you know, there's only uh, and, and uh, unfortunately with the news uh, from Buffalo, there's now only 205 Division One men's soccer programs. So um, they're very coveted, extremely competitive, and um, you know, there there's no perfect path. And so I think every assistant coach that aspires to that level. Um, you know, go through a period of frustration, um, and so what I would tell them is just to to keep uh, keep plugging away and keep doing a great job where you are in your particular role, um, and also say that the, the grass is not always necessarily greener on the other side, and just just focus on doing a, a great job with your current team, and eventually opportunities are going to come up. Okay, so one of the things that uh, I like about you, Kylie, is I told you, I said, hey, we also got to talk about the tough times because, you know, Ivy League soccer isn't easy. You know that uh, you had some players leave your program, and now as you try to kind of regroup and push forward, talk about how difficult it was going through that transition and some of those issues. Yeah, you know, I think every whenever you take over a new program, it has been – has had some tough times and has been struggling and, and for whatever reason, whether it's, um, you know, culture base, whether it's recruiting base, um, there's, uh, or just, uh, you know, philosophically. Um, and so I think when I, when I first came in, there's always a new head coach obviously wants to kind of impart his own kind of philosophy and mentality. And, and sometimes that's not always what, um, the former, the former culture, or former regime was was like, and so um, I think whenever there's change, um, there, there's some rocky, rocky road ahead. But um, I think if you're patient and you give it time, and um, you know things usually work themselves out. And so um, you know there, there's been, uh, and I think every time you take over a new program, it's natural that you're going to have some some attrition with that um, and uh, I think the key the key is just trying to make sure that guys want to want to be a part of it and um, you know and I think I'm really excited for uh, where we are right now with Yale um, and this is my third spring uh, so third off season right now and uh, you know the, the vibe and, and the positive Field, the cohesion that we have now is is the best it's ever been. Um, but it's certainly it's a different, you know, it is very different, um, you know, mindset and kind of culturally from the Big Ten to the Ivy League. So um, I think that took me a little bit of adjusting to as well, um, to be honest. And so I think it it had to work both ways, both on my end to try to make some uh, changes and adjustments um, and learn. Uh, as, as a new head coach in a new league uh, and a new university, uh, but then also uh, you know the, the guys to, to kind of adjust and change, and, um, and and now I think we were in a good place to uh, really continue. I think we're building something special here. I really do, Kylie. I absolutely love that answer. Last question, particularly knowing your journey, and here you are, as you said, out in Dallas talking to a guy who might be contemplating, you know, making that next jump. What is your advice? to assistant coaches that are out there waiting for that call, wondering if that next step is ever going to come? You know, just just keep plugging away. I think also it's important um, while 
while it's not the most important thing, I do think it's important for assistants to continue their education. So they need to uh, go to NFCA courses, learn from there, get their licensing through, through U.S. soccer. Um, they need to, quite honestly, even though it's very busy, I think it's important for them to, to find a club team um, or Olympic development team or something to coach because those are the times where uh, the more repetition that you get in anything, you're going to become more and more confident, more and more comfortable in those situations uh, when you're running your own program. Uh, and then you're going to have to make decisions in-game, um, off the field. You're going to have to manage players. Um, and so I think it's really important for assistants to get involved with coaching outside of their the college teams when possible, um, and then really just focus on doing uh, a great job and, and understanding what uh, their strengths are, continuing to really heighten those, but every coach needs to continue to, to um, get outside of their comfort zone and uh, to continue to learn and push themselves to become a little bit more of a complete coach, and, and I truly believe like if you keep, uh, keep your head down and keep working away that things, things worked out for the best. So well said. Kylie Standard, proof positive that not everything is rosy as you pursue your dreams, but if you stay the course, stay positive, you can get where you need to be. And I know, Kylie, good things are coming for you and Yale. You always have that great smile as well. Thanks uh, for all you're doing. Kylie, thanks for kicking off the 2017 NSCA podcast schedule. Thanks a lot, Dan. Again, honor to be, be a part of this. I really appreciate it. All right. Speaking of smiling, smiling Bob Warming is next, the legendary head soccer coach, so many places, but getting it done recently at Penn State. He joins me, and then a little later on, Carla Overbeck. It's the 2017 NSCAA podcast, even better, back on the air and presented by Team Snap. I'm Dean Lincoln. Stay with us. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com slash NSCAA1. The NSCAA is proud to announce the launch of our online Foundations of Coaching Diploma. This online course has been developed as the perfect introduction to coaching youth soccer for the first time and a helpful refresher for those coaches coming back to the youth game. It provides insight to targeted activities and age-appropriate instruction for beginning to advanced players and is free to NSCAA members. Visit nscaa.com slash jobs to learn more. Now, here's Dean. As promised, we are joined by smiling Bob Warming. Yes, that's what I call him on each and every Big Ten Network broadcast when I do Penn State because the man is always smiling. Even when he's angry, he's smiling. That is a trick that (laughs) only Bob Warming can do. And he's one of the legends among the all-time leaders, among active coaches for men's college soccer. Of course, he's been in two Final Fours with St. Louis in 97, with Creighton in 2001. He's got more conference wins than anybody. He's the two-time national coach of the year, six-time National Coach of the Year finalist, two-time Big Ten Coach of the Year. And let me tell you, folks, I'm just getting started on the legend that it is Bob Warming. Bob, thanks for being on the NSCAA podcast. 
Thanks a lot, Dean. That makes me sound really old. It takes a long time to get all that stuff done. No, you look fantastic, Bob, and uh, so glad to be with you. And I think one of the reasons you were excited about being on this program is the theme for this first one is your pathway to coaching, okay? So Kylie Stanyard, he put in his time. And by the way, you know, a former Creighton guy where you spent some time as well, bounced around, and now he's the head coach. And then Carla Overback, who's been an assistant coach at Duke since 1992, even when she was still playing for the U.S. women. She loves her role as an assistant coach and talks about how important it is, you know, for Robbie Church to have a good assistant. Well, Bob, you couldn't do what you do either, I think, without great assistant coaches. That's true, right? Uh, head coach is only as good as his staff, no question. And you've had some assistant coaches now go on and take get head coaching jobs and not just get them, but do well. And I, I know there's no way you can remember every single assistant coach that has worked for you, but a couple good examples right off the bat. You know, Bo Shani who's already made the NCAA tournament is a pretty good example. Bo was a great assistant. Um, You know, I've I've been so fortunate, Dean, to have worked with so many great people that have gone on and become head coaches. And, you know, um, Brett Simon has really been to four Final Fours. He was two at Creighton and two at Stanford. Uh, He was a longtime assistant for me, actually an assistant coach for me twice. Um, Jason Nems is just doing a terrific job at the University of Nebraska at Omaha, one of the only teams in the country the last couple of years to to beat the uh, University of Denver. And, in fact, we're co-champions in the league with the University of Denver, uh, Final Four team. He, he just started that program from inception five years ago. And, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of great ones. I've, I've got my first one on the women's side. Uh, Timmy Walters is now uh, a head coach in Division One at the University of Nebraska at Omaha, and he was an assistant for me at Creighton. So um, we've crossed over, Dean. We're on the other side now. (laughs) So tell me, what kind of characteristics are you looking for in a good assistant coach, both one and two? You know, to me, Dean, it's really important that the assistant coach complements the strengths and weaknesses of the head coach. And that has evolved over what I look for. Back when I was just getting started in the game, I always wanted someone who was more of the older guy to have around the program. Someone probably a little more mature than me, which wasn't hard to do, but someone who was a little bit more mature and and, uh, had I could glean some perspective on things from him. And now that that role has changed. I'm sort of the older guy now, so I really need somebody who's a little younger and and sharper and and, uh, can actually do a lot more demonstration things uh, in, in terms of training. And with that, when maybe you're not on the same page, it can really play a role in your team, right? If you hire an assistant coach, and, and Bob, I'm sure you're pretty close to as perfect as possible, but there's probably been a few that didn't quite work out, right? I, I think the, the – and, and if, when it hasn't worked out, and it hasn't been very often, Dean, I've been really lucky with that, it was probably more my fault than anything, is laying the ground rules for them. Um, you know, I think that you have to empower – your assistant coaches to have freedom to teach and grow as as individuals but they have to you have to do it at the right time with them and so that they don't um don't do things that can be counterproductive and send, send mixed messages to the team. All right. We heard Kylie say that he wanted to be a head coach. He was going to do whatever it took and learn from whoever it took to learn. 
to be a head coach. Then we heard Carla say, you know what, I'm happy being an assistant coach the rest of my life. How do you balance that, Bob, as you're working with folks that are so eager to become a head coach? How do you make sure you temper that, make sure they know they've got to put in the time? And then on the other hand, how do you work with somebody that says, you know what, I could be your assistant coach for life? Well, head coaching jobs are few and far between, Dean. I, there's just so much, so many fewer head coaching jobs than there are assistant coaching jobs, of course. So not everybody, no matter if that's their dream, is going to become a head coach. And the second part about being an assistant is they're typically, in almost every level, whether it's high school level or college level, are getting paid a lot less than the head coach. They're doing it because they love the game and they want to grow in the game. It's our responsibility um, as head coaches to give them an opportunity to do that. You're never going to be able to pay them, really, in my opinion, what they're worth because your administration's not going to do it. So you have to give them something more valuable than money. You have to give them knowledge, and it's not just your knowledge, but it's the knowledge that they've derived by having opportunities to coach and to learn everything about how to run a program. Now, as part of that knowledge, are you also encouraging them to go to NSCA conventions, work with U.S. soccer, go over to Europe, and do things even outside of the realm of, say, in your case, Penn State men's soccer? 100%. It's essential to to grow in the game. Um, The game is really unrecognizable in every level from what it was when I started coaching. And you must always be ready to pivot, adapt, and apply the new technologies, the new principles that are out there that um, have really changed the game, really changed the game. And you must stay current on it. So even guys who who just recently graduated from college, things have changed a lot and, and will continue to evolve. So it's really important for the education process. And the NSCAA convention is just essential. I'm, I'm I really believe I've, I've developed some of the best friendships I've ever had in the game from going to the NSCAA convention and meeting people there and getting to know them, exchanging ideas in the hallway, um, at a restaurant, at a bar, uh, late at night, and talking about that, that that really bonded us for a very, very long time. I loved how you started talking about you're looking for an assistant coach that can you know maximize your strengths and also cover up your weaknesses. Along the lines, we've also heard of the notion of good cop, bad cop. As you're working with your assistant coaches, you know sometimes that could be the two assistant coaches. One is you know the good cop, the other is the bad cop, and it also could be you as the head coach. Some days you're playing the good cop, the other is playing the bad cop. Do you ever do that, coach? Uh, you know I don't believe in the good cop, bad cop thing. I know a lot of people do. I, I think that our our mission is to help people, uh, help people grow in the game, help help our athletes to grow as students, and more importantly, grow as human beings. And I don't think there's any, any room for having a guy who's the bad guy in the program. I think we all have to be able to help and mentor other people to become more contributing members of our society. And it, it, that, which is much, much, much more important than uh, than the game itself. So I really think you, you have to form a relationship with all of your student athletes, um, and it can't be one that's adversarial in nature. That the guy is always the bad cop. 
You know, I like that because one of the things that I've heard you talk about is it could be a player that left you 10 years ago and you're still very interested in how they're doing and what they're doing. 100 uh, percent. You know, it, it, it's really remarkable, Dean, that uh, how social media has really helped that uh, endeavor. You know, I usually used to get letters from guys 10 years after they finished playing, tell them how much they valued the experience and how much they had applied it in their life and with their family, some of the principles that we talked about. But now you get it more, there's more immediate gratification for the head coach, really, because you're getting to, to actually uh, connect with people on, uh, on social media, Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, and, and, and keep that going. So um, it's, it's a more of a time-consuming thing now because there's so much more information because I have been coaching for quite a while. That there's so many people I'm keeping in touch with. But um, I'm actually now I've, I've really in the last seven or eight years, because of social media, have had tremendous amount of communication with guys that I was the head coach of in the 1970s. So it's uh, it's really been pretty neat. Now, Bob, if it was just X's and O's and if it was just sitting out on that grass and kicking the ball around and seeing the smiles and getting wins, it'd be one thing. But you know as a head coach it's so much more than that. You've got to deal with administration and you've got to deal with this new phenomena of helicopter parents as well. What is your advice, uh, and maybe you're still trying to learn yourself uh, even after 30-plus successful years, what is your advice to coaches knowing that, hey, it's not just rolling the ball out there on the grass, but it's it's all these other issues you got to deal with. Well, it's life. It's life that you're dealing with, and life is not always easy. It's it's not always what you want it to be. Um, you better be prepared and expect things to go wrong. Things are going to go wrong, and it's part of your job as a as a head coach is to be a model of how to deal with those adversities. So, um, you know, it's definitely not the X's and O's. I got bored with that a long time ago. It's more <laughs> about the relationships with people. All right, and you got to deal with it on the field and off the field. And for those people listening, saying, hey, should I keep chasing this dream of being a coach? Any final words of wisdom for him, Smiling Bob Warming? It's the greatest journey I can ever imagine. It is unbelievable. And it only gets better as you go along. So anybody that's out there that's just getting started in it, um, I just encourage you to keep learning as much as you can. Keep your mind open. Keep your heart open. And uh, enjoy the journey because it is a – it's something that what you'll do will last forever. What you teach kids will last forever. So stick with it. Enjoy it. Well said. Smiling, Bob. Keep smiling. Thanks for all you've done for the game of soccer in this country. Thanks for all you've done. We appreciate you. Off to a great start as part of the 2017 NSCAA podcast presented by Team Snap. Kylie Standard, Smiling Bob Warming. Up next, USA Women's National Team legend Carla Overbeck, the assistant coach for the Duke Women's Soccer Team. Carla Overbeck around the corner on the NSCAA podcast presented by Team Snap. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. 
The NSCAA eLearning Suite is designed to provide quality online courses for a variety of coaching needs. Whether you want to improve your knowledge of small-sided games, attacking principles of play, or defending principles of play, there is something for everyone with NSCAA eLearning. Accessible to members anywhere, the NSCAA eLearning Suite can help you take the next step in your coaching education from the comfort of your home. Go to nscaa.com slash elearning to learn more. Now, here's Dean Linky. I want to thank Kylie Standard, the head coach at Yale. I also want to thank the legendary Bob Warming, among the all-time leaders among men's soccer in wins and still going strong at Penn State. And as promised, one of the legendary icons of U.S. soccer, the great Carla Worden Overbeck, who was the longtime captain for the USA. In fact, scored a penalty kick and was the captain when the USA beat China in 1999. She'd go on to 168 appearances, seven goals. She won the World Cup twice, and she won the gold medal once, amongst other major heroics. And she was elected to the National Soccer Hall of Fame in 2006. And Carla is kind enough to join me now. Carla, thanks for being with me. Oh, thanks for having me, Dean. Well, first off, before we get into your long run as an assistant coach, and that's the primary focus today, the pathway to coaching and your decisions to becoming a coach. And I like your story because you're completely happy being an assistant coach and a darn good one at that. I do want to go back to your early days, though. You started at Dallas, decided to come to North Carolina. Talk about that decision first, Carla. You know, I was um, a homebody, basically, so I didn't want to leave the state. I didn't want to leave my family. And after Anson pretty much was the only coach that recruited me and um, had a conversation with my parents, and basically they thought it would be good for me to go away, and I did, and I'm very lucky that I did and um, had, a, had a nice career and met lots of great people and was coached by great coaches. Well, nice career is the understatement because I need everybody to listen carefully on this because the, from what I understand, it was 89-0-6. You never lost a game in winning four, count of four national championships in a row. Is that right, Carla? That's correct. I had really good teammates, Dean. <laughs> well, good teammates, but you also had a coach who challenged you, right? He, can talk, he talks about the competitive cauldron, and you're kind of right in the middle of that. Absolutely. Um, you know, I my freshman year, we he would put you into situations where, you know, you're matched up 1v1 and just all these competitive duels. And I didn't win one 1v1 battle my entire freshman year. And so, um, you know, I, I was very competitive. But um, when I got to school, I was so far away from home. I didn't really know many of my teammates. And so, of course, I wanted to be liked. I didn't want to kick anybody and basically Anson and Dino the assistant coach at Carolina um, they let us know that that's okay you know that's part of competing and so I guess he tells a story that my senior year I didn't lose a game and so um, got much more competitive in the sport when I was at North Carolina. And at what point during that time was it before you arrived on scene or while you were there that uh, Anson said hey by the way I also happen to coach the U.S. national team and I need you. You know, it was funny because there wasn't, I mean, there was a national team, but just kind of on paper, and they didn't do a whole lot. And I think 85 was the first time they went somewhere and did some stuff as a team. And, I, you know, I didn't really know much about the women's national team. And, uh, you know, I got to North Carolina and was invited into a camp, and I didn't make it the team my first time. And um, April Heinrichs had to leave because her 
her father was sick, and um, I was invited in kind of as an afterthought and then stayed on the team, you know, until 2000. So it was um, it was a great a great time and obviously a, a amazing team, and I was very fortunate to be a part of it. Pretty funny how some way, somehow, everything's always connected to April Heinrichs, but we'll, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Hanson's got some opinions on that topic, too, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Sure he does. Yeah. Okay, so boom, you go on, though, and you become captain, and who can forget uh, that incredible time? You won it in 91. Nobody really knew about that. And full disclosure, I was actually a key part of the press officer stuff with Carlos. So I feel like I've known you forever. I mean, we were just youngins in the late 80s, and um, I think we were 10 at the time, Carla, back then by the way when we started <laughs> but then uh, you yeah. go on 99 to win the world cup you mixed in the olympics as well in 96 pretty amazing run it was a great run and you know i can tell you that was it was an amazing team and the players on that team are my friends for life and we keep in touch with each other and um it was it was just an amazing time in american soccer for women Okay, so during that time, you're still playing, I do believe, and you get the bug to say, I also want to coach, right? Because you won that uh, that World Cup in 1999, but you were already coaching with Duke, weren't you? Correct. I we After the World Championship in 91, I was hired as a Duke assistant in 92. And so, um, you know, I knew I wanted to stay in the game after the World Cup and Back then, you know, we didn't have these big extravagant contracts like um, the players do now. Well, I shouldn't say extravagant because they're probably still not not that extravagant. But um, we had to also seek outside employment. And so I worked at an elementary school. I was an aide in between two sixth-grade classes. And then um, after the World Cup, I realized that I wanted to do it more of a full-time basis, be in soccer. And I had had so many wonderful people um, contribute to my success in soccer that I wanted to give back to some young people as well, like like I had been so fortunate in the past. Okay, so you call Robbie Church, I'm assuming, or was, or was it a different coach in 92? Yes, in 92 it was Bill Hempen. He started the program in 1988 over at Duke, and um, the two staff, so Anson and Dino, were friends with Bill Hempen, who was the head coach at Duke, and at the time they were looking for a full-time assistant and they were on the golf course and I guess threw out my name and the rest is history. I was hired. Well, that's pretty incredible. Okay, so then Bill leaves to go to Colorado and Robbie Church comes in. Talk about uh, that communication. You know, it's always weird because when a coach leaves, usually the whole staff leaves. And um, Robbie came in and he wanted to keep me on board, thankfully. And, um, you know, I've been, he's been there for, I think, 17 seasons and I've been there for 24 seasons. And, um, you know, I was lucky that he wanted me to stay, and we got along really well. He's a great man, and he's an amazing coach. Okay, so you have two wonderful kids. So i got to believe that was one of the reasons why you're like, you know what, I'm just happy being the assistant coach. I like my role here. In fact, you must love your role because it also gives you some balance, right? Absolutely. And and that was always such an important part to me is having a balance because soccer was such a huge part of my life. Um, if I did it full-time all the time, um, I would get burned out. And so even when I was playing, I tried to, you know, do other things and not just throw my entire self into the game of soccer. And, um, you know, and that's just kind of how I did it. And I had kids when, when I was on the national team and obviously when I was working at Duke. And, 
you know, the Duke administration was extremely supportive of me and my career with the national team and being a mom and my assistant position with Duke. So it, it all worked out perfectly for me. You know, I'm one of those people that I want to raise my own kids with my husband, Greg. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, we didn't have a nanny. I wanted to be the one taking my kids to practice. And I wanted to be the one, you know, that was there um, helping put them to bed and, and all that. I didn't want someone outside of our family to help us with that. Well, that makes sense, but that also means you have, like you said, the Duke administration, the Duke coaches that are very understanding and also appreciative of your role as a mother and as your role as a key assistant coach for the team. Exactly, and if I had to leave the office or if I had to take one of the kids to a doctor's appointment, um, you know, Robbie totally understood that. And if I have to leave now to get Carson to her volleyball practice or her soccer practice, then, you know, I cut out five minutes before practice is over, and Robbie is totally fine with that. And so, um, you know, he's a he's a very great person, a, a, you know, an amazing boss to work for. And he understands because he, too, is a parent of two kids. And so it just worked out perfectly that, you know, he was hired as the head coach, and he kept me on as an assistant. And I'm very appreciative of that. Well, and you guys are having success, Carla. I mean, you're making it to College Cup Finals, knocking on the door just a couple years ago against Penn State right down the road at Wake Med Soccer Park every year. It seems like you're at least in the Elite Eight making a deep run. I mean, Duke women's soccer's legit. You know, Robbie and our old assistant coach, Billy, worked extremely hard to get recruits. And now Irwin, um, Von Benicom, he's we hired Robbie hired him two years ago, I believe this is the second season. And it's amazing what he has brought to our team. I mean, so, so many new ideas and um, we're more organized in the way in which we play. And he and Robbie are out all the time watching games and visiting clubs and just getting the best talented kids um, out there to come to Duke. And so I'm very fortunate that, you know, they work so hard to bring the, the great kids in and not just good soccer players, but, really really good kids i mean the last four semesters our our uh, team has had a above a 3.5 gpa and so not only do they work extremely hard on the soccer field but equally as as much in the classroom all right carla to kind of close this out and tie it all back to today's topic which is you know a coach's journey becoming a head coach or becoming happy where you are and certainly in 22 plus years as an assistant coach you found your home and i'm assuming that's where you want to be i mean do you think after your kids are are you know you got one in college now one your youngest daughter is in what grade she's in eighth grade eighth grade okay so you still got a ways to go but do you think after that you'll be thinking about head coaching jobs or are you pretty content uh, with this assistant coaching job you know I'm, I'm really happy where I am like I said Duke has been great for me and great to me over the last 24 years and they've kept me even though I've you know gone with the national team and had mom responsibilities and um, our staff is, is a lot of fun and we're, we work really hard and um, you know our teams the, the kids that um, Robbie and Irwin recruit are amazing kids and I'm just I'm happy I can give something back to them you know the game of soccer has been really good for me and to me and um, I'm just fortunate I can you know touch kids lives in a positive way and and I really enjoy what I do and I'm happy to be there obviously not everybody has your pedigree you're one of the greatest to ever play the game in fact maybe the best defender to ever play the game so not everybody has that Carla but what everybody does need is good assistant coaches why is it important for a head coach to have an assistant coach that they can count on that's loyal to him or her etc 
Yeah, I think it's very important because, you know, and and I am you know, they're, we're happy and, you know, that doesn't mean that we always agree and get along. We obviously challenge each other in ways that a staff does. And, um, and you know, we iron out the differences and obviously Robbie is the, is the head coach and he makes the final decision. But it's nice to have input and I feel like he listens to what Irwin and I have to say. And Lane Davis, who is our goalkeeper coach, you know, we just hired him last year. And so the staff really, really gets along. And I think it's very important to have that trust and to have that loyalty that, you know, we all know Robbie's the boss and we can certainly give input, but he makes the final decision on things. Tying it full circle, of course, you were also a member of the Carolina Courage. I like to tell the story that when you scored that goal against Atlanta, I believe your eighth grader, you were pregnant with child, right? When you scored that goal, is that true? I was. I was like three and a half months pregnant, but I couldn't tell anybody because I didn't want them to worry about me. Yeah, and you wanted to get out there and play too, right, and score that goal. But the Courage are coming back, right? So you're going to be able to see professional soccer at the highest level. Carla, are you excited? Oh, I cannot wait. I mean, our franchise was so supportive in this area, and um, I can't wait for the Courage to kick off, and I'm excited for them, and, and what an amazing place to play. I mean, um, the stadium is unbelievable. The community supports the team, and, and I'm just excited that Women's Pro Soccer is back. Well, we're excited that uh, you could be a part of the, this first podcast of 2017. We're on twice a month up to the college season and every week thereafter. So thanks for helping us kick it off as we talk about Coach's journey and particularly your role as a very successful assistant coach. Carla, always a pleasure. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me. Thanks to the great Carla Overbeck, Kylie Standard, the head men's soccer coach at Yale, and Bob Warming, the head men's soccer coach at Penn State. The 2017 NSCA podcast presented by Team Snap, one in the books. We'll be back in two weeks, Thursday, April 27th. We'll see you then. Thanks to all the good folks at the NSCAA, and thanks to each and every one of you for listening. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find coaches like you who are passionate about bettering themselves and their players. Go to NSCAA.com to find out more.